this is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I can have what it says I can have. Today, I'm ready to receive the incorruptible, ever-living seed of the Word of God. Come, Holy Spirit, have your way in this place. Come, Holy Spirit, have your way in my life. I'll never be the same again. Never, never, never. In Jesus' name, amen. Now your best shout ever. Now, dear brothers and sisters, regarding your question about the special abilities the Spirit gives us, I don't want you to misunderstand this. You know that when you were still pagans, you were led astray and swept along in worshiping speechless idols. So I want you to know that no one speaking by the Spirit of God will curse Jesus, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same Spirit is the source of them all. There are different kinds of service, but we serve the same Lord. God works in different ways, but it is the same God who does the work in all of us. A spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other. To one person, the Spirit gives the ability to give wise advice. To another, the same Spirit gives a message, a special knowledge. The same Spirit gives great faith to another, and to, some, and to someone else, the, the one Spirit gives the gift of healing. He gives one person the power to perform miracles and another the ability to prophesy. He gives someone else the ability to discern whether a message is from the Spirit of God or from another spirit. Still another person is given the ability to speak in unknown languages, while another is given the ability to interpret what is being said. It is the one and only Spirit who distributes all these gifts. He alone decides which gift each person should have. The human body has many parts, but the many parts make up the whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles, and some are slaves, and some are free. But we all have been baptized into one body by one Spirit, and we all share the same Spirit. Thank you, Ryan. Give God a hand. You may be seated. Thank you. Thank you for being part of the house today. Uh, we are in the middle of talking about truths of a skeptic. Uh, to catch you up, if you're new, just be brief on what I mean by that. I grew up in church. I heard a lot of stuff as a young kid and through teenage years that you just kind of assimilate. If, if they told you it's true, it must be true. Uh, the people in my church believe it's true. My parents say it's true. Therefore, it must be true. And as I became an adult, there's a lot of stuff I read in the Bible that my brain's like, that just can't be true. It doesn't even make sense. I don't understand it. And so it led me, uh, this is my 31st year uh, pastoring, like talking to people about God uh, publicly like this. So about 30 years doing this. And it's led me on a journey to like just try to answer these questions. I tried to be fair with it. I tried to be fair that if I read something that was different than what I was told, that I would change what I believe and believe what I was told. And so that led to what we started at the top of the year in January, Truce of a Skeptic, grabbing all those things that just make you scratch your head and go, this nope, doesn't make sense. But let's try to make sense out of it. So I hope it's blessed you. I hope today bless you. Today is going to be two parts. I, I just didn't want to rush it. So it's going to be a part one next week, part two. My heart for you would be that you would desperately make an effort to come back next week. If you cannot, because sometimes we just can't make that happen, uh, then try your best to listen to the message when it posts uh, usually by Wednesday lunch. So this service will post by Wednesday lunch. It's about the time they can edit it down and we get it out there to you. So if you don't make it next week, catch up because it's really going to kind of land the plane. I'm going to take the plane off. We'll get halfway home. We'll land it, refuel. We'll take back off next week. Let's jump into what Ryan read and then tell us where we're going to go today. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians 12, 12 and 13. The human body has many parts but the many parts make up one whole body. And then I highlighted this uh, phrase for you. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves, some are free, but we've all been baptized into one body. 
by one spirit, and then in blue, we share the same spirit. Um, this concept of the body of Christ, what we would call today church, we call it church. It's weird uh, what we do with that in our country, this body of Christ, uh, uh, the, what we believe about it. And so I, I've been really wrestling with this myself because of that phrase, the body of Christ, and what we call, your, and we would even say you're, you're going to church today and you came to our church and you're sitting in this church, and so that's kind of what it is, like this is church, so to speak. Um, it, here's what's strange about it. What I do for a living is this, church. So it's made me be very skeptical about, does it even matter that I do this? If I was not here next week, like my life ends on planet Earth, and I'm not here, does it really even matter? Is it going to just all keep going anyway? And does all this thing we do called religion, called church, is it, does it matter at all? I mean, I hope I leave a legacy behind. I hope, you know, I, I leave, I've written a book, so at least I leave a book behind. And I did an incredible CD, if you don't have it. <laughs> I did a compilation of all original music back in 1993. It's incredible. It will blow your mind how anointed it is. I sold nearly 50 copies. <laughs> so I hope when my life is over, I've left a good legacy. But it still bears, too, that I've had to answer the hard questions of why do I do this thing called church? And that's what I want to hold on today because I've, I've been very skeptical about it. I try to be smart enough to know that we blow it. I try to be smart enough to know people abuse it. I try to be wise enough to know I can blow it, I can abuse it, but at the same time, I can't get away from it. Here's the question I want to kind of pose, a couple of thoughts to you of where we're going to go. Does it really matter if you're here today? Because this is the way we'll market it to you, and we even did it on social media very intentionally. It said in our social media feeds, we've saved a seat for you. And then that is a way we market you to come and we saved a seat, although we really didn't because y'all had to sit in the wrong place, so we lied to you. But uh, we saved a seat for you. may not be the one you're used to, but we saved it and we hope you came. And then when you get here, oh God, does it really matter? In other words, if you didn't come today and you didn't show up on this day, would your life be any different? The answer is probably not. Your life's probably going to be the same when you walk out the door as when you came in the door. The likelihood that something's going to change today is statistically really low. You know it and I know it. Whether we say and sing about this is a move, miracles happen when you move, blind eyes open when we pray, deaf ears, most of you in this room have probably, not saying not everybody, most of you have probably sang about it but have never seen a deaf person hear a blind eye open, a dead person get up and walk, but when we sing it, it just feels good. But the question becomes, so does it really happen? Because I don't see it happening. I mean, I read about it. I read about it over in the other countries. But a true, genuine dead person got up, been dead like Lazarus, uh, and I'm not opposed to it. It just makes me question... Does it really matter if you're here? Now, here's how we trick you so it matters. We, we put a guilt trip on you. It matters because if you don't come, you're guilty because good Christians go to church. If you want to be a good Christian, you need to find a church, you need to get plugged into that church, and then you need to come. So we can guilt you into coming like good Christians come. We can also be very smart to know once you get here, not only can we guilt you into coming, but we can snag you to keep coming. Because we tell you if you really want to grow, you need to get on a team and get in a group. So if I can get you on a team, I can keep you coming because now you're obligated because now we plan when you come because we put your name on planning center and you have to check the box that you're coming. 
So now you're obligated to come. And once I obligate you to come, the guilt level of not coming is even stronger because if Matt decides he's not coming, he's the drummer. And if he doesn't come, our drumming is going to sound horrible. Matt needs to come, so Matt does come because he tells his wife, I signed up. And she says, oh, you signed up? Yes, I've got to go. But then we all clap and go, great drumming. And it's kind of set up that way. It's set up that whether anything impossible happens or not, or a miracle happens, I'm obligated to go. Daddy told me to go. My mama said I should go. They said it's good for me. I've got to go. I mean, I'm serving. I'm the one opening the door. I'm on the hospitality team. If I don't come, and I'm wearing the parking vest, if I don't show up to park people, I need to be there. So really, I guess the answer is it does matter if you're doing something. But does it matter if you're just coming? Does it matter if you're here or not? Matter of fact, is the kingdom of God going to be any different if you'd stayed home today? I may miss you. I may go, now where are they? I usually see them. I mean, you matter to me. And I try to tell you matter because I, I sneak coffee to some of you. Come on. Hey, shalala, ba, ba, ba. He gives coffee away? Yes, but you have to come to get it because you matter. All right, so the question now is if it matters, like if it really matters that I go to church, grandmama told me to, they, they're expecting me to be there, I've signed on a team. Uh, it really matters. Let's say it does. Then, what's the point of me being here? Just to be faithful? Well, you can be faithful to a gym. Like, does anything in the world change because you showed up today? And so I've wrestled with this for 30 plus years. Does it really matter if you come? And we tell you as preachers, of course it does because your spiritual health depends on you being here. But you're smart enough to know that your spiritual health doesn't depend on it because you can stay home and do a Bible study and watch YouTube videos with probably better preaching than I'm getting. And so therefore, does it really matter because I'm growing in the Lord watching Stephen Furtick? Does it really matter? And I'm going to go, gosh, yeah, man, if you're watching Stephen, stay home. He's a great preacher. So, so then why come? I guess because these are my people, because I like Mark, because he's funny, because he makes sense of the Bible, because he's handsome, because he's, he wears skinny jeans. He's not skinny. That shows he has faith. And, <laughs> I don't know. So if it matters, what's the point? So, so all week long I've been holding on this because I felt like I was going to go this way. But I wanted it to be meaningful to you. I'm not going to sign you up for a team today. I'm not going to ask you to join a group today. I have no expectation on your life today. If you want to come to this church, do so. I hope I get to know you. I hope in the end you will be able to say of Robin and I, they were good people and they shepherded us well. But if you don't come... I'll miss you, maybe, if I know you. If I don't know you, I won't even know if you're here or not, but I'd love to get to know you. So what's the point of all of it? So I, I, I landed on this, and this is what 30 years of scratching my head going, do I need to even do this? Shouldn't I just, does it even pay off? Because, again, like I said, this is my job, to talk to people about God. It's what God has put in my heart to do. Here's what I landed on is, yes, it does matter. All right? I'm going to tell you why I landed on it. And it's not because if you don't come, I don't get your offering, and then thus me and Robin don't get a paycheck. It does help. It helps that you give because my livelihood is based on your giving. If you don't give, I'll just have to believe God will give somewhere else, or I'll have to start watching Breaking Bad and come up with another plan. So <laughs> some of you got that one. All right? So it matters. All right? So 30 plus years of, of rambling this in my brain, I've landed on biblically why this thing we call church matters. And I'll tell you, it, Matt, this is how much it matters to me. If next week someone else chose to take the helm of this ship and pastor this church, Mark Evans would still show up because it matters to me. Not Believer's Church matters to me. I hope it stays. My dad and mom turned it over to Robin and I. And I hope we leave a good legacy for whoever comes and stands up here after us. I, I hope we leave them something good. But church just in general matters to me. In general. I'm going to go where God's people are, whether I'm paid to do it, 
You don't have to get me up out of bed. I don't care if I'm on vacation. I will find me somewhere to go to hang out with God's people. Because to me, I've studied it out. It really matters. Not to me. It matters to him. So here's the weird thing. I'm going to try to take you there to show you. I don't, you don't have to agree with me, but I'm just going to throw you what I got. I don't think this thing called church should be, does it matter to me or Robin or you, but does it matter to God? And if it does matter to God, count me in. I will die on the hill to fight for this thing called church. So that's where I want to take you. Let's go to the scripture. And remember, we'll do two parts. So part one today, why does it matter? So that's what we're going to talk about today, why it matters. It matters because God has always had a place. You will find it very difficult to study the Bible and not find that God has always showed up in a specific place. Let's start out. Here's, here's Genesis. So rather than trying to define the church, I decided to go back and try to figure God out because if you can figure him out, things make a little more sense. So this is what I, I landed on. So the Lord God... Form the man from the dust of the ground. He breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils. And the man became a living person. If all that mattered in the three, the, the yellow, green, blue. If all that mattered was the yellow, green, and the blue. That God wants to change your life. That God wants to breathe his life into your life. And that God wants you to become alive in him. If all God cared about was you getting born again and getting eternal life, we could stop the sentence at verse 7. But from the beginning of time, God teaches us, long before there's a place called church, God teaches me that the, the result of His forming, His filling, and His bringing me life is verse 8 is that he wants to place me somewhere where that life can exude itself. So he made a place called Eden. We know it as the Garden of Eden. And there he placed the man. Now the weird thing about this, it was very intentional. It was not just, hey Adam and Eve, don't you love me? I love you. I've done a great work in you. Don't you think I did a good job? Yes, yeah, go enjoy life. No. It was very much all the stuff I've done for you. Oh, and P.S., I've made you a gorgeous place to land. And out of this place that I've planted you, you will multiply and you will fill up the entire earth. So that's God's original plan. Next verse. But the Lord said to Cain. Now, out, here's what's strange. Let's back up a verse and I'll show you what's strange about this. They're kids. When God put Adam and Eve into this garden, all right, and, and placed their life, their living souls here, and God just said, look, I'm putting you here, multiply, take over the earth, govern it, reign over it, man, do all your good stuff. As soon as they sinned, God, if you know the story, boots them out of the garden. Now, what we'll typically tell people is this. The reason God did that, God did it because he doesn't want Adam to grab a hold of the fruit and eat it and then potentially live forever in a sinful body. It sounds good. I'm not opposed to it. it. It probably would fight in a good fight. But what if it's not quite that deep? What if it's that what God wants us to know, watch, is that the soul who sinned, Adam and Eve, matters to him. How many of you believe that matters to him? All right. So he has to deal with them. They sin. He deals with them. And he boots them out of the garden. Why? We typically say so he doesn't eat the tree of life. But here's, here's a different way to look at that. What if God also wanted to know, not only does the soul of a human matter, but the place I put him matters. And because the place matters just as much as the soul matters, then the place and the soul will be split because both of them matter to me. Both the place and the soul. They both matter to me. That's just God's thinking, maybe not ours, but they both matter. I'm going to guard both of them. 
out of this, once he's separated from the garden, they multiply and along come Cain and Abel. Now the next scripture is this. If you know the biblical story, if you don't, it's pretty simple. Cain gets ticked at his brother, takes his brother out in the field, kills him. So here's where we pick up the story now. But God showed up and said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries to me from the ground. Now you're cursed and banished from the ground, which has swallowed your brother's blood. No longer will the ground yield good crops for you, no matter how hard you work. From now on, you will be a what? Now watch what God does for us. God establishes that in his mind, someone with no home who wanders around is a result of a curse. Because God's intention was that a human would never be homeless. That a human would always have a place to belong, but when the place to belong is no longer available, you become a wanderer. The issue with this is this is a lot of the way American Christians think today from a very cursed mentality. That, that it is okay to love God, Cain, but be a homeless wanderer. Meaning I have no church because I've been hurt. I have no home because the preacher did me wrong. I had no home because I can't handle people. They get on my nerves. Oh, they were so controlling. Oh, ugh, I just can't. They were just, ugh. You, if you didn't do it their way, you couldn't do it anyway. And so I just can't do that anymore. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to stay home in my jammies. I'm going to watch some good YouTube stuff. And I'm going to occasionally send my offerings to other places that I think are probably half viable to earn my offerings. But I'm just going to chill and love the Lord because I can just love the Lord this way. That's great. It's logical. It makes sense to me. It's a lot easier lifestyle. But it's not what God intended. God never intended you to be homeless, meaning you have no group of people where you're planted in. He never intended that for you. Whether you've been hurt, abused, abandoned, it doesn't matter what we humans have messed up, it was not God's intention. But we'll wander around. Well, I'm just going to go over here. I think I'll go over there for a while. I'll probably go over there for a while. I love them. Good pastor, people. Yeah. Now, these people are great. That pastor's, whew, oh, Lord, he's controlling. Jesus, help me. This group over here, I love them. You know why I love them? They're so Holy Ghost filled. Oh, I just love to kind of get in with them and put my feet in the water with them. And Oh, I love them. Now, they're good too sometimes. But these people over here, oh, let me tell you, we need to drive up there and see them. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. It's not like God's going, why are you running all over looking for good stuff for me? But it does lend the fact that sometimes what we call searching for the Spirit is our way to be a homeless wanderer. Because I don't want to plant my life. I don't want to be somewhere I'll be challenged. I don't want to be somewhere there's humans that could blow it. I just want to love God. But God establishes, before there's a thing called church, God establishes that homeless wandering is a curse. So that would tell me that God is always going to work to find us a place without taking your whole life and sending you to Bible college. This is it in a nutshell. Here's the next one. I ran through the Bible and picked all the places that God shows up in a place. There's no denying that he starts in a place, Garden of Eden. He ends in a place, a city that comes down to the, to the earth. He's going from a place to a place. Now here's all the places he shows up in a garden. We saw that. But after the garden, God shows up at an altar. People build an altar and God says, Oh, you got a place? I'll come down and meet with you at that altar. And then we got all those altars that come in the book of Genesis. Then he has a land, and he says, this is the land I'm going to be in. I'm going to take you to that land. I'm going to flow with milk and honey. I'm going to meet you in that land. It's my land. Come to my land. And then as they're going to that land, God says, well, here's what I'd love to do because I am a God of a place, and I want you to have me a place. So Moses, come up here. I'm going to show you the place to build me. It's going to be a little tent, and you're going to carry him around in a little box. That's pretty cool. I'm going to put God in a box. Then out of the box, Solomon builds him a home, a literal home called the temple. But then a place matters so much to God that he won't just let himself be born anywhere. He has to be born prophetically in a manger, in a place. 
And that place was so powerful that even the angels came down and told the shepherds, you need to go to that place because at that place there's something powerful happening, a little babe wrapped in swaddling clothes. So the little baby just didn't hyper shoot across time and meet with the shepherds. The shepherds had to get up and go to the place to see the baby. But when the baby grows up to be the king of the world and dies on a cross, they didn't just randomly throw him in the dirt. He was put in a place. He was put in a tomb. Why? Because God is a God of, I always put myself in a place, and then in that place is where my people see my power within the place. And so that's where Mary, weird, Mary didn't encounter Jesus until she ran to the place where he was put. And when she went to the place, she saw the miracle. And then she was so profoundly blown away by the place that showed her the miracle. She went back and got her buddies and said, you need to come to the place to see the miracle. And they went to the place, and we call it Easter, the tomb. But then after that, God says, well, I really want to do something incredible. I need you all to go to an upper room. Well, why couldn't you just pour your spirit out on the street? Because I don't do that. I do it in an upper room. I'm going to, I need you all to go to a place, and then I'm going to pour my spirit out. And then that went to the streets but then because it didn't really work well in the streets, they either had to go to a house or a synagogue. Gentiles built houses, churches, and Jews went to the synagogue, so hence house, church, and synagogue. But, but the reason they met in houses and the reason they met in synagogues is they needed a place to whereby they could go and do God, which is weird. And then we end in a city. Heaven comes to earth. So that's my thinking as I work this out. There's no denying God has a place. The question is... Are these things we call churches today that sit on every corner, are they a place that God would want to come? Do they even matter? Or, or are we just making it up? Here's a second thought. God has always had a people. So here's the thought to that. Go back to Genesis. God says this. The Lord God said, it's not good for you to be what? All right, introverts. It doesn't mean that you have to hang out with 20 people. But it does mean there was never, ever an intent for you to be a loner. You cannot, cannot do life alone. Whether it's a husband, a wife, a friend, somebody. Even Jesus, when he chooses his followers and sends them out, he will never send them out alone. If he sent them out alone, it would be against the, the DNA of the way God likes to do life. You have to go out two by two or more. Jesus himself, if, he, if, if aloneness uh, of, of holiness was God's plan, Jesus could have done it by himself. He didn't. He brought in 12 Motley Crue dudes that messed the whole thing up, but it was such an important concept. I do this with people. Yeah, but they're going to mess it up. So I have to have them anyway because God never intended lo aloneness. So when he starts the plan, here's what's weird. He starts the plan with, I made Adam. How many of you think God did a great job with Adam? Well, the original one, not, not the men today. Just a, the, somebody like, no, he didn't. But the, the original Adam, like God did a decent job with him. He said it's good. But God even in himself did not say, Adam, all you need is me. So all you need is me, buddy. Me and you, man, just alone together in your closet. That's all we need. I just need God in my Bible. No, you don't. You need people. So God, thinking of his own, created a woman for him because there was something of, watch, there's something of Adam that even with God, he could not do alone, which was create the human race. And everybody says, thank God he brought Eve. You're here because of it. So he brought Eve and said, I'm going to make a helper. Here's the thought to that. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. In other words, it's really hard to be fruitful alone and really hard to multiply alone. I can be fruitful alone. I mean, I kind of like myself. I get along with me. I've judged myself in my spiritual journal that I am growing in Christ. But you can't multiply alone. So therefore, God's intent of a people was that the people would multiply into more people and those more people would accomplish something. That's kind of where he's going. And what he says to them is, you need to accomplish to govern and to reign. And so he kind of had an end goal. 
But it does tell me this about God, that God designed you for community. He, he did it. I mean, that, that's just the way he, he, his thinking was, you, you don't do good alone, you're going to need some help. Here's the thing, remember, wandering versus community versus placing. Here's what I'll tell you about people. You really want to know what you're made of, hang out with people. They will expose every bit of rawness of flesh that has ever existed in your life. You want to feel holy, quit hanging out with people. And here's what I've deduced as I read through the Bible. The only, well not only, I won't go only, but from what I've thought through. 98% of loners in the Bible are the strange prophets that lay around naked for years to accomplish some weird thing for God. So unless you're that, unless you're walking around with a Gandalf beard, calling down prophetic things from heaven, you're probably not a loner. Those were the prophets that were kind of in a cave all by myself. But not just people. Because people expose the real you. Here's one thing I know if we hang out long enough, you'll know my garbage, I'll know your garbage, but the goal is not to know garbage. The goal is that we would become fruitful and leave our garbage. But if I'm a homeless wanderer, I will not stay around long enough for my garbage to be exposed because the moment I don't like something, I will homelessly wander to the next place of my liking. But when I stay in the place God wants me, it exposes the real me. If I'm lazy, if I'm sinful, if I'm whatever, hanging out together exposes that in us. That's why so many people church hop. is not that the preachers in the churches are bad. We're all smart enough to know we're all human. Every church has got its issues. But it's, we really don't like those issues confronting things in us we don't like. So we're always looking for the perfection when we'll never find it. Here's the thought of that. Just to show you God's always wanted a people that multiplies, Adam times Eve equaled the human race. He pulled out of that Abraham times Sarah equaled the Jewish nation. And then out of the Jewish nation, he pulled out Jesus, and Jesus times the Holy Spirit equals the holy nation, the church. So God is always, even, watch now, even when he said to Adam, Adam and Eve multiply the human race. This is strange. You know, don't take it too strange, but it's my thought. Adam and Eve multiply, fill the earth, but what he's thinking is the, is the church. He's thinking church even when he's telling Adam and Eve to have kids. He's moving to this end nation. This end nation is himself, his body. That's what he's moving toward. He's moving toward a group of people who meet in a place that are called his body, that multiply and take the earth over. So this was God's original intent. Here's the issue. God, and this is kind of probably more of the depth, so hang on this because this is a little more of the depth of where we're going. God's always had a place. God's always had a people. But God has always had a language from the beginning of time. I don't know what his language was. I don't think he spoke English. I, I've just kind of deduced through my study that whatever he spoke, it was just God and everybody understood it. So here's a scripture or two to back it up. The serpent, uh, Genesis 3.1, was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. And one day, Blue, he asked the woman, does this bother anybody? Like anybody. Like in the beginning, language was so important to God, nobody questioned the serpent should not be chatting. Snakes don't talk. At least from my experience, snakes don't talk. Yet we read this and show our kids in vacation Bible school a little snake sitting in a tree just chatting with a naked woman as if it's normal. And the husband who's with her didn't go up and say, Honey, why are you chatting with a snake? That's not normal. No, it was absolutely 100% normal 
that opinion of Mark, that animals could talk to humans in the original intent of God because language mattered long before there was Dr. Doolittle. Dr. Doolittle's cool. Dr. Doolittle can talk with rats and mice and we make nice Hollywood movies. We're like, oh, Dr. Doolittle, oh, he can talk to the animals. But the original intent of God is animals could talk to humans. My personal opinion is they could talk to humans all the way up until the Tower of Babel when God spread the languages, animals, and themselves. That's why I think God... Oh, that's just a little deep. That's why I think uh, when Noah built the boat, he just talked to the animals and said, you and you, get on, you and you, come on, get on, get on. He just talked to them, and that's how they could stay there a year together chatting it up. That's just my thought. Today, no. Today... If, if you come and say you're talking to animals, we lock you up. <laughs> Something's up in your life, man. Your brain's not right. But here's what Mark Evans is smart enough to know. In some weird way, animals talk to each other just like humans. Every blooming night in my neighborhood, dogs chatting it up. Hey, 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 hey. Hey, 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 hey. And then some other dog. What, 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 hey, 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 what, 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 hey, hey, hey. And then some other dog. Hey, 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 what, what, hey, hey. And I'm laying there in bed going, ah, God, shut them up. I don't know what they're saying to each other, but they're like having a picnic. They're all yapping. I don't know if they're like, hey, squirrel, 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 squirrel. Get it, get it, get it, get it, get it. I can't, I can't. I'm locked up, locked up, locked up. Like, I was like, oh, Jesus. But they obviously understand each other. Like they sniff each other like, yo, what's up? Nothing, man. You smell good. Come on in. It's like, oh. Like I don't know what they're saying, but I just got this weird thing. They know what they're saying to each other. It's just like a porpoise talking to another. And then they just like, how do they, I don't know what they're saying. But even science says they can talk to each other. Every morning, my bedroom window... <laughs> that bird. <laughs> oh, what's he talking about? Hey, so, so just because it's so frustrating, I just go out on my back deck and think, well, might as well chat with it. <laughs> and then he's like, <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> and he's like, <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> literally like he's answering me back. I don't know if I'm saying I'm a crazy human. I don't know if we're talking about what he's going to eat later. I'm just whistling, and then he waits on me to whistle, and then he whistles. And then I go, and then he goes, and I go, and we like, now that's weird. Y'all probably like, I'm never going back to that dude's church again. <laughs> but uh, come on, I'm going to go all redneck on you. This is Redneck 101. Every dad blame redneck man in here will sit out in a field with a <laughs> oh, Dude, what are you doing? I'm just calling the duck so I can kill him. You think that duck knows what you're saying? Yeah, listen, this means come here. <laughs> This means I'm going to blow your head off. <laughs> like, so don't act like we don't think we can talk to animals. Everybody in here knows we can. We just have to do it in their language. But God started it that way. Verse 9, God called to the man Adam and said, Where are you? And Adam talked back. Uh, the original intent of God is God could talk to people. And people could hear him. I don't know what he sounded like, but there's no denying in the Bible that God often showed up in a place to a people and talked with them. Here's the thought. This is deep, but maybe it'll spur you. The Lord said, what have you done? This is talking to Cain who killed his brother. Listen, God said to Cain, your brother's blood, that's Abel, cries out to me from the ground. Listen very carefully. The language I'm talking about is not just your vocal cords. You are so wonderfully made. 
that your very soul has a sound. Your blood has a, has a language. I know this is true because when Robin went through her stuff, she often would have to go get her blood drawn. Just last week, she had to go, they had to take blood because her surgery's coming up. What they want to do is they want to read her blood because her blood has a language. Are you healthy? Are you sick? Are you... Like, we can read your blood. Well, God, what God established here is that not just do I sound like a Georgia kind of hick when I talk, but that my soul has a sound. I have a language that when God looks at me, I don't even have to say anything to Him, but He looks at me and a sound resonates off of me like an energy, like a my body's talking, but it's not coming through here, but everything that pulses through my veins cries out to Him. This is why He could say of a rock, though a rock does not have vocal cords, He says the rock can praise me. Why? Because in the very DNA of that rock, though He has not vocal cords, He, he has been given a language. And that rock can praise me. The trees, though you don't hear the trees uh, praising me because they don't have vocal cords, but the very trees of the field will clap their hands. Even though they don't clap, have hands to clap, it's a metaphor. But is it a metaphor or is it a reality that those trees are literally clapping their hands though they don't even have hands because they have a language given to them by God where they could praise Him even as a tree. It's a language. So God has a place, God has a people, and God has a language. Somebody want to tell me what... The end result. Here's the intent now. So as I'm trying to work this out, why do we need to come gather here? Here's what I landed on through my years of just figuring this thing called church out. There's no denying God does have a place where He meets with people. God does have a people. And that people has a language. There's no denying it. That's true even in your own circle of friends. Even though you all speak English... Within your, your, your intimate circle, you will have your own language. Me and my wife, we have our own uh, love language with each other. That She calls me her, her love name. I call her. We have a language together. It's a very intimate thing. It's very us. Every social group of people has that. God, God did it that way. That's why, that's why it's so you gravitate. We, we use a bad word. We call them clicks. But it's not that they're clicky because maybe some are, because they don't like humans, other humans. They're clicky because they're a group of people that meet in a place that have a common language. And when I come in and I don't have that language, oh, it's a click. That's why you can come from another church into a church and feel like for a while you don't belong because you, you brought the language of your upbringing, the language of your at last church, and you tried to fit into this language of this group of people, but you didn't fit in, so you left and called them a clique because you wanted your language and theirs to jail. But it didn't. So it's important to God. Well, guess what happens? What do you think happens when God has an original intent, there's a problem. What is the problem here? The problem is what it's been all the time, and it's this word, humans. Humans have always had a gift to mess it up. Always. It doesn't even matter what God's intention is, you put a human in it, we are guaranteed to blow it. And we'll do it royally and even blame it on God. So take the original intent, place, people, and a language, add humans to it who want to do that, and here's what you get. Genesis 11. At one time, all the people, there's people, of the world spoke the there's the language that used the same words and the people migrated east and found a what? And what did they do at that plane? So right there in Genesis 11, human beings took God's original intent. We gathered together as a group of people. We found us a place called Babylon and we all had a common language. So right now, human beings have grabbed hold of the original intent of God. And this is what they say. 
Come, let's build a great city for ourselves with a tower that reaches into the sky. It'll make us famous and keep us from being scattered all over the world. Next verse. Here's the potential of that. So the potential. Watch. The potential of a group of humans who decide to meet in a, in a place and all speak a common language. Why would God want that to be His intention? Why would God intentionally want people to meet in a location to have a common language? Here's why it was so important to God. The Lord came down and looked at that city where the people were building. There's the place, Babylon, the tower. Look, he said, the people are united and they all do what? So they're accomplishing exactly what he wanted them to accomplish and why God chose it. And he said after this, what is God's comment about a group of people with a common language in a place? What does God say about them? Nothing is impossible. Nothing. So as crazy as it sounds, God's intent was, I'm going to take a group of people, I'm going to put them in a place, I'm going to give them a common language, and out of that, they will accomplish impossible things. The problem was, if you back up a scripture, they were not doing it for themselves. For God, they were doing it for themselves. So here comes the question. God shuts the whole thing down. Could God use a place, a people, and a common language to accomplish the impossible? Yes. He said it himself. These people with a common language will accomplish the impossible. Here it is. If God could use a place of people in a common language, which was his original intent, to accomplish something impossible, why did he shut it down? Why shut down the Tower of Babel? Your own comment, these people are accomplishing the impossible. Why is God, do you shut this thing down? Here's why. God shut it down because the place, the people, and the common language became about their own fame and name. And God will share it with no one. So what we land on is, whether we like church or not today, we land on the original intent of God was a people, a place, and a language who could do impossible things. But the moment they made it about their agenda... The moment they made it about their, their, their egos, the moment they made it about their abilities to pull this off, God shut the whole thing down and called it Babel. It, it holds nothing with me. Which makes me wonder today if maybe the reason local church does not see the impossible things that we could see by gathering together in a local place with the same language that we could see the impossible. Why don't we see the impossible today? Maybe it's because we're not the church that was intended, but we are modern-day Tower of Babels that we label as church. Because we, we're all about us and our shows and our experiences and our praise teams and our smoke machines and our hip-looking jeans and our, our the people we put up front to market and our marketing strategy and how we're going to get butts in the seat and how we're going to guilt trip you into being on a team. And if you don't do it our way and speak our language, we will ostracize you and push you away. And so... Because really, be truthful, no Christians speak a common language anymore. That's why we have denominations. Because your language says women can't preach. Mine says we can. We're split. We're gone. So nothing possible can happen because we can't ever find a common language anymore. We just don't call it a common language. We call it denomination. So all the Baptists have their language. The Pentecostals have their language. The Charismatics have their language. The Independent don't even know what their language is. That's why they're independent. They're trying to be all languages to all people. And then we're all just like, as the world looks on and says, do y'all have any power at all? Like you, this would be my take. If I was being really skeptical, all right, so I'm going to pull myself out of the local church. I'm going to become an atheist real quickly. I'm going to watch this last year, and I'm going to say, do you all really believe what you tell me you believe? 
Because you tell me you serve a God that is the God of all gods. You tell me that God can heal people. You tell me that God can give you eternal life. You tell me that God has a city you're going to live in. You tell me that God doesn't like you. He's going to send you to hell. But yet a virus comes and every one of you shut down? You tell me he's a healer, but you close down because you don't want to be sued, because you don't want to get fined, because you're afraid you're going to get some bug, because you're afraid of a virus. But you want me to believe the God you serve is all-powerful hogwash. You're a bunch of religious people. And I, I'm, I'm lumping myself in that because I shut down too to honor what the government wanted me to do. And I'm not against you wearing a mask. I don't care if you do or not. It's America. Welcome to the land of the free. But if we tell people that our God's a healer, does he heal or does he not heal? And if he heals, should we open the door and say find healing or open the door and we all get sick and have to shut down and quarantine? Because that is a big issue. If we let you in the door sick and we all get sick, we got to shut down. Then maybe God's not God. If all of us get sick praying for the sick, is he really God? Or are we supposed to, you see how weird, convoluted it gets? But we are the church, the people of God Almighty. Yeah, but you can't even go to Kroger without being afraid. So let's don't fake it here. Let's just be honest. We're trying to skip hell and have the best life we can here. We are not looking for the impossible. I just want it to go well, and I don't want to die too soon. And I want God to fix my wife. That's kind of where I'm landing. <laughs> I'm not mad. I'm just trying to work all this out myself. Like, is this even worth it? This junk and stuff we call church when I don't know if we even believe what we believe. But God shut it down. God, so here's the next thing that brings me to this thought. If a place of people in a common language could accomplish the impossible. And that was God's original intent. Here's the real question. Does that intent still remain today? Or has God let us off the hook? Now, I, did you get that scripture pulled up, Matthew? Good. I, want, I, want, I was praying second service. I was in Dad's office praying. I just want to take one scripture to show you that what I think I'm saying to be true. All right? Just so you don't think I'm making it up. But I really believe it's really true. Matthew 8. I was praying about my last message. <laughs> like I left first service and went in there and sat in the office. God, I hope that was right. Uh, don't give me worms. <laughs> like I really want to tell you stuff that's right. Like I don't want to stand up here and act like I got my act together. Like I literally went in there, got a Twix bar and some coffee and thought, God, oh, I hope what I said was right. Like, you know, I'm really trying. So I felt, I'm not saying it's God, but I felt something rise up. I heard in my heart, read Matthew 8. So I opened it up and I asked the guys to pull it up. So this is brand new for second service. Large crowds followed Jesus and he came down the mountainside. Suddenly a man with leprosy approached him and knelt before him. Now, here's the deal with a man of leprosy. He's a loner and a wanderer. Leprosy people cannot go to the place they're supposed to go, which is the house of God. They're wanderers. They're homeless. You can't touch them. They're unclean. So now what we get, watch, coming in is a homeless wanderer. He has a reason to wander. He has, he has a good excuse to wander. But he finds Jesus, bumps into God who has a place of people in a language, right? So he bumps into that God. Let's keep reading. If you are willing, you can... Heal me and make me clean. That's the impossibility. You, lepers don't get cleaned and healed. They're forever leprosy. So there's the impossibility. Jesus, who is God, reached out and touched him and said, I'm willing. Be healed. Come on, somebody. <laughs> and the impossibility happened. Instantly, the leprosy disappeared. Watch this. This is what resonated in my heart. I almost just got up and ran to another church. I was so excited. I was like, oh. But then I realized I didn't have my inhaler and I better not run. Okay, so I, I just took a sip of coffee, ate a Twix bar. I'll have to tell John later I ate a Twix bar, right? So, wait, wait, go back. He said, I'm willing to be healed. And, and instantly the leprosy disappeared. Watch. Did the, 
Did the miracle happen here, yes or no? Is he or is he not healed? According to what we read, he's healed, right? End of the story. End of the verse. Why go further? Not God. Because if Jesus is God, what does Jesus have to establish in this impossibility? Every impossibility has a what? A what? And a what? Has a place of people in language. So Jesus could have just said, dude, I healed you. Everybody excited? I healed him. Woo! Go out, man, you're healed. Not Jesus. He has to take him back to God's original intent of how impossible things happen. Here's verse, nine, here's verse 4. Jesus said to him, don't tell anybody. What? you kidding me. Nope. Instead, go to the priest. Where's the priest? He's at a place called the temple. So go to the place. Let him examine you. Take the offering required in the law of Moses. That's the language. The language of the Hebrew was the law of Moses. They could do nothing outside the law. That was the language of God. And go there. Now watch. Take an offering required by the law of Moses. That's the language. For those who have been healed of leprosy, this will be a public testimony you've been cleansed. Wait a minute. I thought he was already cleansed. Wait a minute. You, you, you told me you cleansed me but shut my mouth, but the only way it would ever become public is I had to go back to a people, back to a place, and back to a language, and the moment I did, it would be public. And Jesus is like, yeah, go do that. That was mind-blowing to me. I don't know if it was to you, but that's why I was eating a Twix bar. <laughs> is that Jesus himself, as the ever-present Son of God, established that the intention of him was still the same. If you want to see the impossible, I've got to link you to a place, to a language, and to a people. The question, is it still true today? Acts chapter 2. Here's the scripture. One day on the day of Pentecost, who's there? That's the people. They were meeting together where? There's the place. And suddenly there was a sound from heaven like a roaring mighty windstone. It filled the house where they were sitting. What looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began to do what? Speaking what? Languages. At the very birth of the church, God downloaded his DNA that if you want to see impossible things, you must find the people, find the place, and get under the language of the Holy Spirit. So the thing that's really going to make the difference is not is our music anointed, is my preaching anointed, is our Instagram cool or not. The question of the hour is, can people from all different races and backgrounds and problems and issues gathered together in one place and in that one place regardless of all of our upbringings come and say I submit to the language of the Holy Spirit what do you want to tell me today Holy Spirit and I will listen which is why Jesus will say in Revelations 2 and 3 if you want to overcome you must listen to the language of the Spirit it is paramount for you to overcome. Now somebody tell me what happened, this is just history 101, what happened when a group of 120 people in one location got under the common language of the Holy Spirit, what happened? The church was birthed and revival broke out. Demons left people, miracles happened in the streets, lives were revolutionized and changed and you're here today because of it. That's how powerful it was. What's the problem? Humans. And here's the question for next week. God's purpose for the church, this is my, my opinion. I tried to share it with you. God's purpose for this thing we call church here today is so he can have a place, 2981 Beaumar Road, or I don't know the address to Chapel Hill or Full Turn, but wherever that place is that God puts your life, on whatever corner, under whatever shepherd, under whatever leaders. Here's what we know. He always will place you with a people. The key is to make sure that people speak a common language of the Holy Spirit. 
Otherwise, you're never going to jail. You'll always be wanting them to do something else, to try something else, to all these tricks we play. Our, our real goal is not to be a, a place where people can come meet and sing songs. The real problem is we all know we like our own language. I want my agendas and what I want. And so it is challenging. It's even challenging for me leading. Like, God, please tell me what to do. Please show me. I don't want to just do me. I don't want to just try to milk people to come. Just tell me and I'll try to obey. That common language. And here's the thing. God started the church. And this is how I want to end. God started the thing we call local church because He desired to do the impossible on planet Earth. He looks at us today and He says, does it matter that you're here? Yes, it does. Why does it matter? Because, Mark, I need you to hear my spirit because I want to do the impossible in you. I want to do the impossible. I'll just ask you a question. It's hurtful. It's kind of stinging to me because I flunked. I flunked my own test. Are you a Christian that really believes that impossible things can happen through you? Or are you scared? Well, I want to pray for them, but I just don't know if God will even answer it. I mean, I'm kind of nervous to even lay my hands on them because what if I pray and they get more sick? What if they're sick and then I pray for them and they get more and then it doesn't prove to them God is real? And then suddenly I really don't believe in the impossible things becoming possible because I'm probably going to divorce my wife because you just have no clue. This is impossible. It'll never be fixed. So I appreciate the whole impossible God thing, but I, can't, I just can't. So we're divorcing. We're getting out. I just can't go on anymore because you don't know what's facing me. You don't know what's happened to me in my past. And so all this impossibilities of my thoughts and my things that have happened to me. And God says, yeah, I'm good with that. I'm good that you all are having these impossible moments, but I want to pick you up. I want to put you with a group of people. I want to plant you in a location, and out of that location with that group of people, if you'll listen to my Holy Spirit, the impossible will happen for you. I'll remedy it. I'll fix it. I'll, if, if you'll submit to my voice and listen to my language, I will accomplish the impossible. Our only goal here today is can we learn how to listen to the language of the Spirit? Because if we do, our marriages will be healed, our physical bodies, our, I mean, everything begins to flow together. And that's why I believe church matters. Because I'm having to come with Wesley, I'm having to come with Gary, I'm having to come with Carmelo and sit in a room together as brothers in Christ. And as brothers in Christ, we bring all of our stories and all of our idiosyncrasies and all of our emotions in the room and our backgrounds and our upbringings. But we all sit down with our different languages and we speak different languages. Carmelo, is it Pastor Mark? And I'm like, yeah, Carmelo. That's the worst Puerto Rican I got, bro. But, but I know as soon as he calls me, I'm like, I love that little Puerto Rican voice. But at the end of the day, if Carmelo and I don't line up under his voice, he and I will never accomplish what God wants us to accomplish. Because his feelings and my feelings and his emotions and my emotions. My wife and I have two totally different languages of life. She has hers, I have mine. But for success, we come up under the Holy Spirit and we both say, God, we submit to you. And out of a husband and a wife, a woman who sees life womanly, a man who sees life manly. She uses a bunch of words, I use two. And God is like, that's a lie. I use tons more words. I'm so sorry. I just... She uses two words. I use millions. I just totally thought, I'm lying. I'm the one that talks all the time. It's not her. So, <laughs> but we come under the language of the Holy Spirit, and, and God works an impossibility through us. Lives are changed because of us. What if on this corner at 2981 Bomar Road, it's just a building? It's a cute building. Kind of hip looking. I like it. Makes me feel kind of like it's home. But that wasn't the goal. The goal was that if we would come here every week as the people of God to a geographical location and do our part and stand here and say, Holy Spirit, whatever you want to say to me today, man, say it. And God says of that group of people, I will do impossible things through them. And in that moment, if that starts happening, you won't ever find a chair to sit in. Ever. They will be lined up down the road. There's impossible things there. 
It won't be, I've got to get up. You'll be like, I'm getting up. Why? Because impossible things are happening. We call it revival. But maybe the reason we don't see revival is not because we're not praying enough. It's not because we don't fast enough. It's not because we don't read enough books. It's not because we don't have worship nights. It's not, maybe we're not having revival is because what we call church, God calls Babel. And God's trying to shift the nation of our church more from Babel, more back toward his original intent of being a group of people at a place under the language of the Holy Spirit. So I can once and for all do the impossible and blow the minds of human beings beings who think they know what they're doing, but I am God. Maybe, I don't know, but I'm just, maybe that could be what God's thinking. I'm going to ask the band to come back up. I want, I want to ask you, if you will, to bow your head and think for a moment. I just want you to ponder for just a minute. Is there something impossible you're facing? Something that just like, man, I've wrung my hands here, God. Now, I'm going to be fair. I'm going to talk about the end result of how we humans can still mess this thing up. How even at believers we can mess it up as, as much as we want to see God move. Why? Because we're humans. Humans can be fleshly. Humans can miss it. I just want you to know mine and Robin's heart and the heart of the leaders of this house is not to miss it. It's not to try to have a show. It's not to try to impress you. It's literally because... We want to equip you to hear the Holy Spirit so you can see the impossible things in your life and see God do it. Now, whatever it is you're struggling with today that just feels impossible. I was riding in this morning, coming down I-20. It's kind of foggy and rainy. and I was listening to a worship tune. And you just kind of have to hear this with some mature ears because I don't want to say it wrong. But I felt in my heart rise up I want you to just share with people that I'm going to reward them for coming today. And I desire to do the impossible for them. Just because you came. Not because you're spiritual. Not because you gave an offering. Not because you have great faith. I felt like what the Lord spoke to my heart is just because you came to a place and you sat with God's people the Heavenly Father, I just felt in my heart, wants to affirm that He can do the impossible. Now, I don't know what that is for you. That might be a marriage. It might be a health thing. It might, it doesn't really matter to me. It just, and I'm going to work no magic here. I have no magic anointing on me. I just know that I felt the Lord spoke to my heart that Robin and I are to lay hands on you and we're to pray for you. And we're to believe that whatever impossibility you're facing, that God will do the impossible for you. And God will bring about a power on your life. And God will establish a work in your life. Why? Because that's what He's always intended to do. A people at a place with a language that can do the impossible. And I believe, my opinion, our world needs that today. Our world needs the church to rise up. And not just a group of people that sing songs, but a group of people that says, we believe the impossible still happens. In Jesus' name. Would you stand with me? Thank you so much for joining us on the Believer's Church YouTube channel. If you would like more information about Believer's Church, you can visit mybelieverschurch.com. If there is anything that you need prayer for, please email us at amen at mybelieverschurch.com. Be sure to check back next week for a brand new message.